You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I want to thank everyone here that's been such a blessing to us over the past three weeks as we've, uh, uh, my family and I, or my wife and I went through COVID and to thank you for praying for us. Uh, I don't wish it upon anybody. Uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine, natural supplements, and 53 other kind of medicines that everybody called and told me we should take. And I don't wish that on anybody. Amen. The disease or the cure. Amen. Uh, but I am glad it's over with, I think. And uh, I, think, I think everything's good. A pastor last night as we're walking out said, if you want to get Crabtree, you can go over to the Brother Crabtree's uh, table. If you want to get COVID, you can go to Brother Rutman's table. And, uh, and I promise you, we're not sharing COVID over there. Amen. Uh, but... Uh, uh, thank you guys so much. Thank, I want to thank those that have taken our family out to eat the last couple nights. And then the Vargas is having us tonight. Uh, the church gave us some money to go shopping today. And uh, just you've been a real blessing to our family. And not just what you've done for us, amen, but just knowing that you're there and knowing that you pray for us regularly. Uh, man, this church has been such a blessing to our family. I want to thank everyone as well for the notes that were sent to us while we were sick I hope my comments last night weren't misunderstood. We love it when people communicate with us, but sometimes it's almost impossible to communicate back with everyone. Uh, and certainly, Esau Baptist Church communicated with us uh, during our sickness, and we got a lot of text and emails, and we thank the Lord uh, for that. And again, we're thankful for the opportunity to preach uh, the Word of God this evening. It's 8.01. I'm going to be very mindful of the time, and I'm also going to try to be very sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord tonight. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 4. I'm going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to try not to preach so fast that, uh, that it hurts the sign language lady over here. Amen. Uh, but, but we're going to try to preach fast enough to get you out of here at a decent time, all right? Ex, uh, Esther chapter 4. Most of you, I think, are familiar with the story of Esther, and so we'll get right into it. The Bible said when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. And came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that happened unto him, and of the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make request before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai, and again Esther spake unto Hatak, and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and, and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, 
There is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and we'll examine this passage of scripture this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come into your presence tonight and Lord, we know we've, we've had a lot of fun and a merry heart doeth good like medicine. We're thankful for the camaraderie that we have with the people of God. Lord, after being out of church for two weeks, uh, Lord, just coming back to our church on Wednesday night, man, I felt like long live the church and I, I'm so thankful for the church and for the people of God and the fellowship. But Lord, as we come now to preaching time, Lord, we need you. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Lord, I need you as I preach, as I think clearly, as I articulate the message you've given me for the church tonight. But Lord, the church needs you tonight. Lord, we need you to speak to hearts. Lord, tonight you know the burden of my heart that you've placed. Lord God, we thank you for all the money that's going to support missionaries around the world. And Sunday, they're going to have a faith promise missions giving here. But Lord God, more than money and more than materials right now, we need men that are going around the world. We need a new generation, a young generation to rise up and take ownership of the great commission for their generation. And God, I pray you would touch hearts tonight, regardless of age, regardless of who they are, regardless of health, touch hearts tonight, I pray, in this matter. And God, call people. I beg you, Lord God, I plead with you that you would call people out of Eastside Baptist Church to be missionaries from here to the uttermost parts of the world. May this be a missions revival, Lord God, not just in heart, but Lord God, in action. And we're thanking you for what you'll do and how you'll bless. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Esther, we learn the story of a young girl named Esther. She was a Jewish young lady who, in the providence of God, became the queen of the known world. Her husband, King Ahasuerus, he literally ruled from India to Ethiopia. Uh, the wicked Haman, who most of you I'm sure are familiar with if you've read the story, he came into both favor and power with this king. And this wicked Haman tricked the king into signing a death warrant against all the Jews in the entire kingdom. And they set a date where they would allow anyone in the entire kingdom to legally murder and to massacre the Jewish race. Unbeknownst to Haman, Queen Esther was a Jew. In fact, even King Ahasuerus did not know that he had married a Jewish girl. In our text, we find Esther has a cousin named Mordecai who informed the new queen that the decree had gone forth for her people, for all the Jews to be killed. And Mordecai, he pleaded with her to go in uh, and to plead with the king for the life of the Jews. 
And when Esther heard the awful news that her race was to be destroyed, she responded to her cousin in verse 11 of our text. And she said, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death except to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. And Mordecai answered Esther with these words. Think not, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, think not that uh, within thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And in verse 16, we find the basis for this message. Esther answers Mordecai with these words. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also, my maidens, will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish... I perish. Notice that Esther said, so will I go. I will go. And if I perish, I perish. This young queen came to a place in her life. Young people, listen up, because this is the burden of my heart. She came to a place in her life where she realized that she may have to die literally in an attempt to save the lives of her fellow Jews. And she came to the place as a young queen where she was willing to die to make a difference, literally. I'm not just talking tonight about dying to self. I'm talking about her body dying. I'm talking about laying her body down in death. And God knows that we need a generation in 2020 of young families and young men and young ladies and middle-aged men and ladies that are willing to put their life on the line to reach these unreached places and these unreached peoples with the gospel of the grace of God. Three weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching this message in Indiana. And, and man, God put it on my heart to preach. And when I got ready to preach this message, the lady that stood up before me to give the testimony of her and her family was Mrs. Stephanie Wesco. And if you know anything of the Charles Wesco story, they went to Cameroon just two years ago. And in just a few days, uh, it'll be the two-year anniversary of his death. They spent 12 days in Cameroon. And on the 12th day, they went into the village to go to the marketplace to get some groceries. And he was shot and killed in the vehicle with his wife and one of his children and the other missionary. And God put this message on my heart to preach. And I'm telling you, preacher, I felt bad as I'm preaching about I'm willing to die. That's the message title. I'm willing to die to make a difference. It's humbling to preach in front of a missionary lady whose husband was willing to die and did die to make a difference. As I preach tonight, I'm not, I'm not, I promise you, I'm not asking you tonight. I'm not putting out some idea. I'm not trying to give a martyr complex. And I certainly ain't trying to put out the idea that I'm just preaching spiritually tonight. I am preaching physically. We need a new generation of Christians who are willing to rise up and take ownership of the Great Commission and say, if it causes, if, if it costs my health, if it costs my life, if, if it causes me to die young, if I lose my career and my ambitions and my dreams, and if I lose life itself, I love Christ and I love souls more than I love life, more than I love the pleasures of this world. This young queen came to a place where she said, I'm willing to die 
to make a difference. And I want to preach that to you. I want to ask you, what do you have tonight that's worth living for? And what do you have that's worth dying for tonight? What do you have that's worth dying for? What makes us different than the Roman Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church or the Methodist Church or the Episcopal Church or any other religious gathering? What makes what we have different? Is is what you have worth dying for? If it ain't worth living for, I can promise you, it ain't worth dying for. How many of you in this room right now, I'm preaching to Eastside Baptist Church. I kind of joke with people. I'm, I say, if you th- rule number one when I'm preaching, if you think I'm preaching to you, I am. Amen. Because I'm certainly not preaching to anybody else tonight, all right? How many of you in this room right now say, man, I really want to make a difference with my life. I, I want to make a difference with my life. How many of you say, man, preacher, I really want my life to count For Jesus Christ, I don't want to just be another statistic. I want my life on this earth to count for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as we look back through the scriptures, we think of stories like David and Goliath. And what made made that such a great story is that David was willing to go down into the valley and face a giant that everyone else was too afraid to face. He was willing to die to make a difference with his life. We think about the three Hebrew children who were told to bow down and worship the God that Nebuchadnezzar had made. And those three Hebrew children, they said, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter, O king. Our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. Amen. They were willing to die, literally. They weren't just talking about, well, we're corn of wheat dying and falling into the ground. You know, we're going to die to self. They really were willing to die when called upon and were cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And then we think of Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, here's a man, he's not a young man at this point of his life, and he's just simply told you can't pray anymore to your God. And Daniel understood if I go and pray to my God, that that is capital punishment right now. And Daniel went and prayed to his God. He was, and they put him in the lion's den. And the only thing that kept them alive was the grace of God, amen. He was willing to die. We think of men like Paul and Silas at Philippi who end up in a Philippian jail, amen. Men that are willing to suffer and bear their body, the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were willing to die to make a difference. But tonight I'm preaching about Esther. And I want to I look at the story of Esther and I want to try to bring some application. And when I look at Esther and I look at this young lady, I look at a young lady who is now the queen of the known world. Anything she wants, she has. Any desire that she has, brother, she's got it. She wants it. She, she's the queen of the known world, all right? What, I mean, she's in a comfortable place, man. She's in, I mean, whatever, she's the queenie. Whatever she wants, she gets, amen. What would cause her to look at her place in life and her status in life and her position in life and say, I'm willing to give it all up and I am literally willing to die. And some of you say, you've read this story so many times and you say, yeah, but it's her husband and is her husband really gonna kill her? Let me tell you something about this woman's husband. History tells us that her, that he was so wicked that he had his own mother disemboweled to see the womb that bore him. This is a wicked king. This is an ungodly king. This is a king like dictators in the Middle East today that have no regard for life. When Esther illustrated an evidence of fear of going in before her husband, it was because she had a fear of going in before her husband. 
She understood it doesn't matter if you're his mother, if you're his wife, if you're his sister. If he doesn't hold out the golden scepter, it's curtains for me. There was true fear in her heart as she said, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. We read these Bible stories and we just assume, oh, it's her husband and he really wouldn't kill her. He would have killed her. She has a legitimate fear here that her husband may take her life. What would cause her to go to from the place where she says, I've not been called. I have this great fear of going to the king on behalf of my people. What would cause her to change and say, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into the king, which is not according to the law. I have a fear, but I'm going to face it. What caused her to face her fear with faith to the extent that she was able to say, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. Number one, let me give you this. Number one, her people were condemned. Her people were condemned. Why don't you think about this? If you look back in Exodus, or excuse me, Esther chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible tells us the story of Haman and how Haman tricked King Ahasuerus into, into putting a warrant in place, putting an advertisement out that every Jew in the kingdom could be literally murdered they could be massacred I mean this is the wicked king and and Haman tricks him into signing this war and and so we find in verse 13 the Bible said these letters these are the letters that are being sent from the king that's calling for the death of the Jews these letters were sent by post in all the king's provinces to destroy to kill to cause to perish all Jews both young and old little children and women in one day even upon the 13th day of the 12th month I'll stop reading right there her people listen to me her people were condemned. you know why they were condemned? Because of who they were. They were condemned because of who they were. They were Jews. Can I tell you that you're living on this planet tonight and your race of people is condemned as well? The human race on this planet is condemned tonight. You know why we're condemned? Because of who we are. You have neighbors, you have coworkers, you have friends. We've seen these mission presentations from around the world, places full of people that are condemned just because they're humans, just because they were born into this world sinners, they're condemned. And theirs is not a condemnation just to physical death as Esther's people was. Theirs is a condemnation to eternal death. You say, preacher, do you really believe that there is a real hell that real people go to with all my heart? heart. I believe that. Do you think I would do what I do? Do you think these men would do what they do? I, I, man, listen, we try to reach people and give our lives to reach people because hell is real and it's on fire beneath our feet right now. And real people that we work with every day of our lives are going and they're going to burn there for all eternity yes, just because they're sinners, just because they were born into the human race. Think about that. And then, and then they were condemned because of their wicked adversary. They had a wicked adversary named Haman, and he wanted to see all the Jews die. And can I tell you that we have a common adversary, a common enemy as well, named Satan. And if Satan had his way, he had snatched the breath out of the lungs of your neighbors before tomorrow morning. If Satan had his way, he had snatched the breath out of these dear people in Ghana and India and these deaf folks before we had a chance to reach them with the gospel. They were condemned. She changed her mind. She said, I'll go into the king, which is not according to the law, because my people are condemned. Can I tell you, not only were they condemned because of who they were and because of their wicked adversary, but they were condemned because of 
their helplessness. I want you to think about this. Her people were condemned by decree from the king and they were absolutely helpless and defenseless. There was nothing these Jews could do to save their lives. Nothing on this day, the 13th day of Adar, when, when, when it became legal, they would be massacred and they were not allowed to defend themselves. The entire world, the entire kingdom of the world, the law of the kingdom, the legal system of the kingdom would stand with their murderers. They were helpless to change their own situation and can I tell you that we're living in a world of seven point, almost eight billion condemned sinners who are absolutely helpless to change their situation. Without your intervention, friend, they will most certainly die and go to hell helpless to change their situation. You are the hope of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. You are the hope of the Midwest. You are the hope in this missions revival of reaching the world with the gospel of the grace of God. We are the hope of the world, amen. We represent, they have no hope. They're without hope. They're helpless to change their situations. Go down to the drug rehabilitation centers. Go down to the prisons. Go down to the places and watch people try to break the chains of sin. Watch people helplessly and hopelessly try to break their habits of sin and their addiction of sin and they cannot do it outside of the power of the grace of God that you and I have at our disposal to give to them. Oh listen, her people were condemned. But then let me just say this, her position of comfort what caused her? What caused her to say, I'll go into the king and if I die, Brother Heath, if I die I, I'm, I'm literally, I'm willing to go and if I die, I die but at least I know I tried. I'm willing to give my life. This, this isn't some tough guy, Brother Juan. This isn't some tough guy, brother. This is a young lady. This is a queen. And she said, I'm willing to die. Can I tell you why? Not just because her people were condemned. Her position of comfort was challenged. She had a position of comfort. I already mentioned she's the queen. She has anything she wants, whenever she wants, to the tune that she wants it. She's the queen of the whole world. But we find, and I want you to listen closely. I'm extremely dry tonight, and I'm sorry I've got to cut, steep, I keep stopping and taking a drink, but I got to. If I could get another cup of water, that'd be a real blessing. Amen. Her position of comfort was challenged with a copy of a decree from the king. Are you listening? She saw the copy. Mordecai sent the copy of the decree that her people, Brother Matt, her people were going to be exterminated. They were going to be killed. Esther 4, verse 8, the Bible said, and he gave him the copy of the writing and, the, and of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. Now think about this. There she was in the comforts of the king's palace with a copy of the decree that her, the decree now from the king that her family and her friends were going to be massacred. What would she do? And in the same manner, friend, you and I have a copy of a decree from the king that tells us the world will die. Young people, the world you're living in, the planet 
you occupy. People drink the same water you're drinking. They breathe the same air you're breathing. They get up in the morning and go to work, have to make a living the same way you do. Listen, they're going to die and go to hell and we have a copy. That's why we're having this missions revival. And that's why I'm preaching you tonight. I'm trying to take the place of Mordecai to convince a whole lot of Esthers that we've got to go make supplication to the king. Our people are dying. Our people are going to go to hell for certainty and for sure if we don't intervene on their behalf. I'm trying to, I'm, you say, man, you're trying to challenge us. I'm trying to challenge you. Man, if it's up to me, I'd call every one of you to go be a missionary to people in the world. That Listen, in 1950, the year my father was born, in 1950, there was 3.5 billion people on this planet. That is far less than half of the population that we have today. 70 years later, in 1950, the United States of America was sending out 100,000 missionaries under the umbrella of Christendom, okay? That's not all independent Baptists, but that's under the umbrellas of Christendom. And here we are, 70 years later. Later. And today we're sending out 32,000 missionaries under the same umbrella of Christendom. In my father's lifetime, this world has over doubled, almost tripled in population. And the labor force of missionaries going out of the United States of America has decreased by two thirds. The harvest is plenteous and the laborers are fewer out of our country than ever before. And you'll never convince me in a million years that God isn't looking in this church at this time right now saying, I want to send laborers. I want to send Gabes and I want to send Georges and I want to send uh, Heaths and I want to send folks from this world. Hey, I want to send them out to reach Sioux Falls and to reach South Dakota and to reach the world with the gospel of the grace of God. We have the copy already. Amen. I'm giving you the copy tonight. I'm, I'm reading it to you tonight. Amen. What are you going to do about it? And then there's not just the copy of the decree from the king. There's the charge from her uncle, or excuse me, her cousin Mordecai in verse 8, and we already read that. He charged her to make supplication unto the king for her race. Can I tell you, church, tonight, man, I can't preach like I want to tonight, but can I tell you tonight, we've been given a charge from the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in Matthew chapter number 9, the Bible said he looked out and he saw sheep fainting. Uh, uh, he saw the people fainting sheep with no shepherd. And he said, pray ye therefore. Go in unto the king. Make supplication. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send laborers. Do you know why he told us to pray? He said, well, he told us to pray, Brother Upman, so that we'd get serious about him sending laborers. He told you to pray because where a man's heart is is where his treasure is. And when you start praying for God to send laborers, it won't be long. God will be knocking on your home. And God will be knocking on your door. And God will be knocking on your children's door. And God will be knocking on your grandchildren's door. Do you think that I believe for a minute that we've been brought to such a place as this, that she was brought to the palace? Hey, listen, we heard tonight about folks in India. We've talked, well, we, we could talk about folks in Africa who've been born in villages. We talked about closed countries and that people who've never heard the name of Jesus Christ not one time, Brother Phil, not one time in their life, Brother Chad. Have they ever heard the name of Jesus? Have you ever wondered why you were born here? Have you ever wondered why you were born in a country where most of us heard John 3.16? We can't remember the first time we heard it. Where most of us don't know the first time we ever sang the words of the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible. Brother Dana, do you understand there's people in this world that have never heard Jesus loves me, this I know? 
They've never seen a Bible to tell them so. You say, preacher, are you trying to make us uncomfortable? Yes, I am. Amen. I am trying to make you uncomfortable. How in the world can we sit in our seats of ease while the world around us dies and goes to hell? Many of them never having had an opportunity to hear the gospel of the grace of God one time clearly. You better believe I'm trying to challenge our position of comfort. Amen. Oh, listen, when that Bible said, go into all the world, that's a charge from God to you. She got a charge from Mordecai. You have a charge from God. Brother Noah, go ye into all the world. That's a charge from God to you. That's not just a charge. And if I could just take another drink, hold on. I'm addicted to water tonight. Amen. That's not just a charge from God to Brother Crabtree and to Pastor Jet and to Brother Hendricks and, and to Brother Sam. Amen. That's that's a charge to every one of us. Yes, Go ye into all the world. That's, that's not just a charge to the missionary that's behind the pulpit preaching. That's a charge to everyone here. Would you at least consider it? Would you at least consider that Go ye might apply to you? Would you consider that God may want you to get on your knees and pray? God may tell you to stay. We know that not everybody can go, but I can tell you we need a whole lot more going than what's going right now. Amen. There's only so many of us and there's a whole lot more of them. We've got to do everything we can in our power to reach our world. Would you at least, would you at least tonight get on your knees on an altar and make yourself available to God and say, Lord, here am I. If you want me to go, God, I'm serious. I'll go if you want me to go. Let's not just sing, I'll go. Let's really go if he wants us to go. Man, I was preaching a few, I'm, I'm starting to feel good now, amen. I was preaching a few months ago at our church about Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. I'm preaching through Acts on Sunday morning. And you know when Ananias came in and, and, and he acted like he sold that land and he gave all the proceeds of that land, you know what I'm talking about. And remember Peter looked at him, of course Peter had an apostolic gift and he could read his heart, amen. And he said, Ananias, why have you kept back part of the price? That's what he said, why have you kept back part of the price? Do you know what Ananias' sin was? He told them he was giving it all, but he didn't give it all. He kept back apart. And I'm telling you, if God struck people dead today in churches like he did then, there's a whole lot of us that wouldn't be able to be in church tonight. Amen. We sing in church, I surrender all, but we keep back part of the price. We say, oh God, I'm willing, oh God, for you to send somebody else and I'll support them to go to the mission field. But we keep back part of the price. We come to church and act like, oh yeah, praise God for our missionaries. And I'd be more than happy to go if God called me and while we got our ears closed saying, oh God, don't call me. I'm telling the truth, amen. I'm trying to plow down a little bit. I'm trying to challenge us out of that position of comfort that it's so easy for us to get here in the United States of America. Can I tell you, can I tell you, yesteryear's missionaries will never reach today's generation. Yesteryear's missionaries can't reach today's generation. We can read about Hudson Taylor, and I love reading about Hudson Taylor. We can read about William Carey. We can read about great men of God like D.L. Moody. We can read about Isabel Kuhn. We can read about Amy Carmichael. We can read about Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, William Borden, tremendous missionaries in their own right, every one of them. But can I tell you something? They're dead. You can read all the books you want to about them, but they'll never reach another soul with the gospel personally. They're dead. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying we need a modern generation. We need a young generation to rise up and say, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to stay when I get there. I'm willing to die to myself 
and to die to my goals and my desires and my dreams to make a difference in reaching my world with the gospel. In fact, we need a generation of missionaries out of Eastside Baptist Church that are saying, I'm willing to die to make a difference. I will give my life and my life's blood. Hey, we sing in our songs. I mean, are we so far removed from our songs? We sing our fathers chained in prisons, dark. We're still in heart and conscience free. This is what we sing in our churches. How sweet would be their children's fate if they, like them, could die for thee. Do we really mean that? Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I blush to own his cause or to speak his holy name? How serious are you about reaching your world with the gospel? Would you put your life on the line to reach the world? Or is it a bunch of talk? I'm telling you, I'm asking you, how serious are you? We need to rise up and take ownership of the Great Commission for our generation. I don't, like to, I don't like to talk about this, Brother Thomas, but the fact is, we are getting older, brother. Amen. And I'm not trying to pitch out like I'm some old man and I'm some big veteran missionary. I'm not trying to pitch that at all. But I'm telling you, I've had eight stomach surgeries. I've got diabetes. I've got an ileostomy. All this junk, okay? I can't do what I'd like to do. I can't go to all the places I'd like to go. I can't, I can't reach every person that I'd like to reach with the gospel. But there's some of you right now, your bodies are young. You have strength. You have a mind that's sharp. Man, I, I joke and say of all the things I've lost, I miss my mind the most, amen? But you've got a mind that's sharp as a tack. Some of you young people, you've got a mind that's sharp. You've got a body that's got strength. You could be used for God. Why are you seeking your own will? Why are you seeking your own ambitions? Why are you seeking your own career and not even considering whether God might call you to go reach your world with the gospel of the grace of God? What made these people different was that they were willing to die to make a difference. Can I tell you, that position of comfort being challenged, it was challenged with a copy of the decree from the king. It was challenged with a charge from Mordecai. But it was challenged, and this is where some of you are tonight. God, I'm telling you, I haven't preached for 20-some years without figuring people out a little bit. And I know I might not be feeling the best when I preach right now, but I can read a crowd pretty good with or without my glasses. Amen. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. Some of you, you're being charged in your position of comfort right now. Because if you live in the United States of America, you're in a position of comfort. We get more in our country on accident than what the rest of the world gets on purpose. And God did not give it to us so we could say, who's going to have the nicest car? And I'm not against nice cars, amen. And who can have the biggest boat? And I'm not against big boats. And who can have the nicest deer rifle? If you got one, I'll take it, Amen. I'm not preaching against that stuff. But God didn't give you the job he gave you. And God didn't give you the mind he gave you. And God didn't give you the strength, young men, that he gave you. And the mental abilities, young lady, that he's given to you. So that you could have a cushy, plush life. God gave it to you so that you could reach your world with the gospel. To whom much is given, much shall be required. And there's some in this room, God don't want no more of your money. You've given money, 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 money for years. God wants you. God don't want you putting a wallet in the offering plate. God wants you jumping in the offering plate and say, Lord, you got me, my wallet and all. Amen. It's not just my giving, it's my going. Lord God, if you call me, I'll go. Oh, amen. Well, listen right here. 
she was challenged with the conviction of her own conscience. That's where some of you are tonight. I promise you that's where some of you are. And you know I'm telling you the truth. Exodus 4.13, Mordecai said, think not with thyself. She was thinking. Some of you are thinking right now. Amen. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's palace. Some of you think if I increase my giving on Sunday morning, and I'm all for increasing your giving on Sunday morning, please don't walk out and say, Brother Upman said, give less to faith promise. Give more. Amen. But can I tell you, some of you, you think with your conscience, if I just put a little more in the money, in the offering plate, Brother Upman will go to Africa for me. And Brother Thomas will go to India for me. And this brother will go reach the death for me. Amen. God wants you to go reach him. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's palace. If God's called you, you don't have any option but to obey or to disobey. That's it. That's it. Can I tell you, this girl's been living in the comforts of the palace. She has the best this world has to offer. Her family and her friends know they're about to die. Now listen, he said, think not within thyself thou shalt escape in the king's house. We can't think that way. Some of us think, well, I'm already saved. I'm already saved, so I'll not pray for God to send laborers. I'll not pray for sinners to be saved. I have no dog in this battle. I'll not go out and try to reach somebody with the gospel because others will. I don't have responsibility in this matter, Brother Rubman, because that's what we pay our missionaries to do. Can I tell you that's wrong thinking? That's wrong thinking. God placed her in a position of responsibility, and God's placed you and I in positions of responsibility as well. And here's my question to you, church. What are you going to do about it? Not just as a corporate body, as individuals, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with it? You, you can't just sit here and watch these presentations and see people dying and going to hell. And, and know that if nobody, I mean, listen, you say, Brother Evan, why do you have a drive to go back to Africa? Because I've been to one too many villages. And I've looked in one too many kids' eyes. And I know that if we don't go back and reach those kids, they will most certainly, Brother Juan, they will go to hell. Never having had an opportunity to be saved by the grace of God. We can't just sit here and do nothing. Brother Gabe, we can't just sit here while the world dies and goes to hell around us. We can't. We have, a, we have a matter of responsibility in this. I'm saying, he says to her, think not. Think not with thyself. Folks, do you understand that you're going to stand before God one day? And I'm going to stand before God one day at the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be judged for sin. That was judged in Christ. But to be rewarded for what we have accomplished for him. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to be as obedient to the Lord as I can in this moment. But what have you accomplished for him? What have you accomplished for him? Who have you reached with the gospel for the sake of Christ? The Christ that died for them, who have you reached? Do you know we have Muslims in our town right now in Sioux Falls, South Dakota? We have Muslims from close countries in our world right now. I go down to a coffee shop down here, downtown, and I, and I reach out to these Muslims down here. And I've had people say, Brother Jeff, they've said I've had an old man get very, very upset with me. And I've had young fellows say, hey, hey, he's the only white man that'll talk. Let him talk to us. Let him at least share what he believes. Can I tell you what I'm, uh, listen, I, I'm trying to challenge the church. We look at people and we say, well, I'm afraid he's a Muslim. I'm afraid. I mean, I, I mean, I might, I mean, I mean, do you know what happens when Muslims get mad at you? I mean, do you know what happens when, when, I mean, Muslims get radical, you know, and they might find out where I live. And can I tell you, and I've weighed this statement out very carefully. I'd rather have my blood dripping from the hands of a Muslim because I gave him the gospel and tried to reach his soul 
than to have his blood dripping from my hands at the judgment seat of Christ because, Brother Chad, I knew there was a God that died for him and I failed to warn him that judgment was coming and that there was a soul or there was a Savior that died for his sins. I'm telling you, are you willing to die to make a difference to reach your generation with the gospel of the grace of God? There's a world of sinners out there who God saved you to reach. Your, hey, your parents won't give an account for you. Brother Hash, your parents won't give an account for you. They won't. You're going to give an account for you. Your pastor is not going to give an account for you. Young people, teenagers, you're not going to have Pastor Jet to hide behind. You're not going to have Brother Dana, Brother Van Z, and these different sets of parents to hide behind. If you're saved by the grace of God, I don't care if you're 12 or if you're 32, amen. If you're saved by the grace of God, you will stand before Jesus Christ yourself at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for your stewardship of what you did to reach the gospel, reach the world that Jesus Christ died for with the gospel of the grace of God. What have you done? What have you done? You say, man, pastor, I mean, that's challenging. I'm trying to prepare you for the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. What have you done? What are you doing? What are you going to do? Oh, listen, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Her purpose. What caused her to change her mind? Her, her people were condemned. Her position was challenged. Her purpose became clear. She understood in that moment. Finally, brother, brother Keith, in that moment when she saw the copy of the decree, when she got that challenge from Mordecai, when she began to think within her own conscience, all of a sudden her purpose in life became clear. Mordecai says, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such time as this? Note the words there. Who knows whether thou, that's the person, that's Esther. And I'm talking to you as a person. Who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom. The kingdom is the place. Esther, who knows whether you have been brought here for such a time. That's the time. This time. Do you think it's an accident that you're in this church? Do you think it's an accident that you're in Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Do you think it's an accident that you were born at this time period when the harvest is greater and the laborers are fewer than ever? No, no, no. You are here on purpose by a God of purpose with a divine purpose. You are here with a purpose. Away with complacency. Away with the comfort of our throne and the comforts of the big American dream. We need to get serious about our purpose in life. And you say, preacher, what's that purpose? Can I tell you can I spell it out real easy go ye that is our purpose that is our justification for being alive on this planet amen go ye into all the world and reach the, the world preach the gospel to every creature her purpose became clear it involved providence and I'm just telling you that your existence and your placement on this planet at this particular point in time is, is for a specific purpose and it's not for your well being and it's not for your health and it's not for you to build the biggest retirement it's for you to reach your world do you understand that Jesus Christ said lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Why are we laying up treasures on this stinking earth? 
But he said, man, send it ahead. Lay up your treasures in heaven, amen. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves cannot break through and steal. I'm telling you, two seconds at the judgment seat and none of us will regret what we gave up for Christ, amen. But we'll regret with shame what we kept for our stinking selves, amen. We will, we will. Her purpose involved providence. Her purpose involved prayer. If nothing else, maybe you're here tonight and you say, Brother Upman, I will not come down to an altar and I will not tell God I'll go. Would you at least? I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I'm telling you guys. I know I'm not an old man, but right now I feel like an old man. There's only so much I can do. There's only so much Brother Crabtree can do. There's only so much... Pastor Jet, there's only so much we can do. We need man, multitudes of men and women. We need you. We need you. God needs you. Sinners need you. Man, Brother Heath, I hate it. Man, I hate this body. I do. Man, I wear out quick and I hate it. There's only so much we can do. The world's dying around. Do you, do you not see the world going to hell around you? Does it not move us? Does it not move us? Man, I'm living out the reality of my life where the Apostle Paul said, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel. I preach, I just, I can't go everywhere I want to go. And I try, but I just can't. And we need some, guys, we need some young blood. We just do. I'm not trying to appeal to you emotionally. I'm just telling you the facts as they are. We need young blood on the mission field. In World War I, we sent boys, 19-year-old boys, through boot camp to the war. We turned boys into men in war zones. And we need to take some of our young men, Brother Dana, Brother Van, we've got to take these young men, and we need to turn them into men on the mission field. We're trying to hold them back for ourselves and they turn 18, and they know what we have is not real, and they hit the road, and they don't ever come back, amen, because they don't see something worth living for, and they don't see something worth... Do you know in 2014, there was a big news thing about kids in Colorado that went over to Africa and to the Middle East and joined ISIS, and they asked kids that were born in rich homes in Colorado, they said, how in the world could you go to the Middle East? How could you give your life to a cause uh, called ISIS? And young ladies gave this answer, because we had nothing in America that was worth dying for. At least ISIS gave us a cause to live for. My soul, man. We're, we're, you're, you're born and raised in independent Baptist Christian homes, amen, with the gospel of the grace of God. We have something worth dying for. We have someone worth living for, amen. Man, are you going to waste your life? Are you going to squander your life on your goals and your dreams? Or will you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? God said, I love them that love me and those that seek me early. And that means in life shall find me. And he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. When's the last time you diligently sought the face of God? Her purpose became clear and involved providence and involved prayer. He said, going unto the king. You know what she's doing? She's praying for the life of her race. The very least, I'm just asking you at the very least, would you come down to an altar tonight? I'm begging. Everyone in this church ought to be here. I'm just being honest with you. And I'm not trying to say we had an altar fool. I'm just saying we ought to all be here. You say, well, I can't make that decision. A decision not to make a decision is a decision. Would you at least say I'll pray? I'll at least come down to the altar and I'll pray to the king on the behalf of the world.
I'll pray that God would at least send someone else. I'm begging you tonight. Would you pray? And then, and then last but not least, her purpose became clear. It involved providence. It involved prayer. But for her, it really did involve the possibility of perishing. Can I tell you, Eastside Baptist Church, I mean this. You know I love you. You guys loved our family. You helped our family through the hardest time of our lives. I love this church. And I'm not trying to be hard, but I'm trying to preach what God asked me to preach. Until we're serious enough to put our lives, literally our lives, our flesh and blood, until we're serious enough to say, I'm willing to put my life on the line for the salvation of sinners, we'll continue to be spiritually purposeless and fruitless. This is the New Testament church in action. When Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He was, he was drawing, Brother Crabtree, he was drawing a picture in minds. And, and the picture as a farmer, you know, you put that seed in the ground. And that's how, once it's in the ground, then it dies to itself. And that resurrection life springs up out of the inside of it. When Jesus said that, it wasn't just an ideology. It wasn't just a philosophy. It wasn't just a spiritual Sunday school lesson. Jesus Christ was literally about to become that corn of wheat and he was about to fall into the ground and he was literally about to die. And until we have a generation of independent Baptists that are willing to say, I will be willing to die if called upon. I will give up my life in life and in death to reach closed countries and to reach people that will never hear the gospel elsewise. We'll continue to be purposeless and fruitless in the United States of America in the matter of reaching souls with the gospel of the grace of God. We will. Paul said... We read these verses, Brother Heath, we read these verses. And, and Brother, I'm convinced we've been raised in church and they go right through. But Paul, listen, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, neither counted I my life dear unto myself. I'm afraid, me included, we count our lives way too dear to ourselves. Right. Revelation 12, 11, And they loved not their lives to the death. So how's it going to be? Are we all just going to sit in comfort and live to be 70, 80, 90, 100 years old, go to heaven with no fruit, go to heaven purposeless. But we died, and we had a nice will to leave to our kids. And we had, we had a beautiful house, Beautiful car. I'm not against that stuff. I'm not against it. If you use it for the glory of God, so be it. Amen. But I'm trying to tell you, there's something a lot more important than things. Materialism. There's souls that Christ died for. They're part of your race. Think not within thyself that thou shalt escape in the United States of America. In the king's house. We have a responsibility. And she said, you, you fast and pray for me and I'm going in. And if I perish, I perish. God used Esther. She put her life on the line to save her race. And she literally was able to plead to the king and her people. Are you listening? She didn't die. She was willing to die, but she didn't die. She lived. We can give you stories of all these people that died, but she didn't die. She went in and put her life on the line, and she lived. Hey, why don't you just go ahead and bury your fears of a mission field on an altar tonight. 
your fear of loss, your fear of health, and your fear of sickness, and what's going to happen to my family, and my kids, and my grandkids, and my grandparents, and what's going to happen? Why don't you just put all those fears to death at an altar tonight? And say, I'm just going to lay them down on the altar and give them to God. And I'm going to go. And Lord God, if I perish in the process, I perish. But it's cause worth perishing for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.